Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, November 16th starts right now. On today's show, Ben welcomes founder and president of ATE Action, Chris Scott. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what shows are playing in town, what the best thing to do in the park is on the weekend, you need to head to ChicagoReader.com because there's all that and a whole lot more. If you want more Ben Jarofsky, he's there too. Just head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Playing the Game Thursday, and here's why. Well, uh, today's Chicago Sun-Times uh, brought news that uh, not just the Sun-Times, we give all the media people in the city of Chicago credit. I just read the article in the Sun-Times. I uh, got the cranes to read and the Tribune to read as well. So I'm going to give some love to everybody. Uh, but uh, brought news that the city of Chicago and its infinite wisdom, the city council, approved Mayor Johnson's budget yesterday. Uh, very, very big margin. I think it was 41 to 8, something like that, 41 to 9. Uh, and, uh, oh, they, you know, they divide it into two separate entities, the one where they raise the taxes, so that was 41 to 9, and the one where they actually uh, pass to spend the, the money that they've raised, 41 to 8. There's always one alderman who, or older woman who thinks he or she is like, I'm going to vote for the budget but not raising the taxes. I'm like, what? How can, you, how can you spend the money if you don't raise the taxes, okay? You know, I don't, I don't know who they think they're fooling. First of all, not enough people are paying attention. All right, number one, to the intricacies, the deep dive into who voted how on taxes versus spending. But whatever. I'm sure some consultant told them what to do, and they just did as told. Here's a little interesting development, though, that's uh, I've watched now over the last uh, few weeks here uh, in my beloved city of Chicago. And I got Chris Scott, the political analyst and strategist on deck, who follows politics on a national uh, level. I'm curious what his thoughts about this are in the most general way. So um, Chicago, of course, has got a, a city with a great tradition of powerful mayors, uh, strong mayors. In fact, it's, people in the city love this concept of strong mayors. I say they love it because they seem to vote for a lot of them. You know, Mayor Daley, the first, Richard J., Mayor Daley, the second, Richard M., uh, Rahm Emanuel. But we've kind of transitioned. We've transferred. And I don't want to go on into, like, this kick, like some old guy talking about, oh, the good old days before political correctness set in. But I'm just, I'm going to make a general observation. Politics has definitely changed in the city of Chicago. And you cannot use, if you're a powerful mayor, you cannot use what? What's a nice euphemistic way of saying this? Coercion. 
uh, into prompting people to vote for your budgets because that's going too far and everyone will criticize you, which I find so mind-boggling as a guy who's been in this city for so long, but following these powerful mayors who built their reputations as people who get things done. And that, like, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to get things done, you got to like move people to get them done. You got to like muscle aldermen and alderwomen. You can't, you can't like pet them on the head. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, what are we? So like Mayor Daly, both daddy and son, Richard J and Richard M, they twisted arms all the time. They were no arm twisting, uh, Mayors, if they didn't make the direct threat about what would happen if you don't go with the mayor, one of their aides would. In fact, I was just reading a book having nothing to do with the city of Chicago. I'm going to show my distinguished guest uh, the book. It's a great book. And thank you, listener Frank, uh, for uh, alerting me to it. I think you actually gave it to me. Uh, it's uh, called The Last Honest Man. It's about it's by James Risen, who is a um, an outstanding investigative reporter. And it gets into the story of the CIA, the FBI, the mafia, uh, and one senator's fight to save democracy. They're talking about Senator Frank Church. And Frank Church was a uh, Democratic senator from Idaho, anti-war senator, way back in the 60s, 70s, got, first got elected in the 50s. And his church committee investigation into abuses by the CIA really revealed, um, well, quite a few abuses, to put it mildly. Uh, in spying on uh, civilians in our country and uh, working with the mob to kill Castro, all kinds of things uh, that the church committee revealed. And I'm going to try to reach out to get James Risen on the show. Uh, but it, this is one part uh, that um, had me smiling out loud. I was reading it uh, last night. I was up, up late night reading it. And, and uh, they're talking about how LBJ, the legendary Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, operated when he, excuse me, when he was the Senate president, when he was running the Senate. This is back in the uh, late 50s. Uh, and he uh, was trying to uh, force Frank Church into voting his way. Uh, and uh, there was reports in the press that during one conversation, Lyndon Johnson asked Senator Church where he got his information on Vietnam. Church was already uh, starting to move away uh, from Johnson on the war in Vietnam. And uh, uh, Frank Church responded, Walter Lippmann, referring to a legendary columnist, to which Johnson allegedly replied, quote, then the next time you want a dam in Idaho, talk to Walter Lippmann. That is, that's, that's politics. <laughs> that's, that's like twisting arms. You want your dam? Then you better vote with my way on Vietnam. And if you can't handle that pressure, Get out of here because you can't handle it's how politics works. So I've watched mayor, uh, mayors playing the same game daily in a ROM. Now, if Brandon Johnson makes any kind of threat in any way, like says anybody comes to him with anything, you know, like the story in the, in the Tribune was about how Bill Conway came to him and he, they wanted some assistance uh, on um, crime in the area. They, they claim related immigrants uh, and allegedly uh, the mayor's people said, oh, well, you want us to help you there? There's some initiatives we want you to vote on. And I'm like, everybody's now mad. They're outraged. You can't do that. You can't link stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm all over the map. I wouldn't want to be uh, treated that way. I admit I'm a sensitive soul. I couldn't survive two days, uh, two minutes, I should say, uh, as an alderman or a, a congressman or a senator. I would bend and break. I admit it. I'm a wimp. 
but I thought these people were made of sturdier stock than me. I shouldn't be the bar. <laughs> Interesting. We, we've, things have changed. Now, the editorials denouncing Brandon Johnson's people. How dare you with these heavy-handed tactics? My God, what are you, a boss? Wait, I thought you guys liked bosses. I, what is it? What is it? Help me tribute, okay? And, and sometimes I thought you liked bosses. You certainly supported enough of them down through the years. Now Brandon's the mayor. No more bosses. Ever notice that? Like, as soon as like a lefty gets in charge, that's it. No more bosses. You can only be a boss if you're a centrist or a right winger or something. Anyway, just my general thoughts. Chris Scott is uh, waiting on. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, putting up with that. Uh, it wasn't even a rant. It was just I'm sort of posing a question. Uh, welcome back to the show, number one. Number two, you follow politics on the national stage and the local stage. Do you see this happening throughout the country? You, you follow Texas closely. You follow Ohio tech closely. Your hometown is Detroit, so you follow Michigan closely. Do you see kind of an evolution in politics where people are moving away from that Johnson model where you link one vote to another vote and you tell you threaten somebody to lose a damn if they don't follow you on Vietnam? Do you feel we're evolving out of that into a more sensitive st uh, phase of life where you have to treat people nicer? Yeah, I, I wish I could say that we were moving towards a nicer phase. <laughs> I feel like we're getting more polarized uh, at this uh, point, uh, and it is uh, still very much, you know, if you don't fall in line, there's going to be repercussions. Uh, you see that, especially with the GOP. Uh, but I think even uh, Democrats, to a degree, you see kind of that hard nose going back to that. And, you know, I think it, it's complicated, right? I think there's a time and a place uh, for all of it. I think there's times where you do need to pull like the rank and file to get something done. Uh, but at the same time, even if you're going to play play rank and file, you still got to uh, respect people's opinions and uh, viewpoints and give grace uh, to it. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah. I, as soon as I ask the question in my mind, I go, oh, no, I, I, I get I had as soon as I asked you the question, I immediately retreated from the point going, are you kidding? We're more polarized than ever. Yesterday, we spent a good deal of time talking about uh, how Republicans are going through this macho phase in Congress uh, where Kevin McCarthy elbowed the one guy uh, and then the senator out of Oklahoma stood up and said to Sean O'Brien, the, the teamster head, come on, let's bring it on right now. You and me, let's go. Right? I'm like, what? Bernie Sanders said, calm down. All right, sit down. You're a son. So as soon as I said it, I realized, no, it, I, it's for some reason, it's just in the city of Chicago. Apparently, uh, everybody's being so polite and nice. And, 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 and Chris, I must confess, uh, I would not want to be bullied. So uh, if if we are really are moving away from the days of mayor, bullying Mayor Rahm and bullying Mayor David, then I welcome that. I just hope we don't move back as soon as Brandon. All right, Brandon Johnson's out. All right. <laughs> yeah, that game, right? Um, so, all right. Uh, the first thing I, when I reached out to you, I wanted to talk to you about Ohio. Um, you're sort of our show's expert on Ohio. Uh, and um, very interesting election there uh, last week uh, on the statewide referendum on abortion rights, uh, preserving abortion rights in Ohio. And uh, I guess, you know, it's funny, we, we get so obsessed with the, um, the emergencies, the most compelling news of the day, uh, the war in uh, 
uh, Gaza being, you know, sort of at the top of the list uh, and uh, what's happening in Congress and polls that show uh, Trump uh, winning in uh, swing states kind of overlook issues that exist. We're very much in the news just a few months ago. Man, we got a, a reminder that uh, about abortion and its impact. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that went down in your old sta- home state of Ohio? Well, I mean, it was a huge win for Democrats. Uh, and I think on multiple fronts, I think, one, you have this notion that somehow Ohio has lost uh, its battleground status and that Democrats just can't uh, win statewide. And obviously there's going to be a huge election with uh, U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown there next year. Uh, You have uh, three Supreme Court seats, uh, two of which are held by Democrats, which, by the way, Democrats just won those seats in 2018 proves it still is a a battleground, even though back then it was a nonpartisan race. And so when you look at issue one, what I really wanted to see was how does it perform in more of the swing counties, looking at counties that uh, Trump uh, took away, but, you know, Obama performed so much better in. So looking at a summit county and uh, uh, not summit, Stark and Mahoning and uh, Portage. And then uh, like we talked about where Dave Chappelle is down in Greene County, can you close the gap and not lose so bad? Uh, you're talking about even though issue one uh, got voted down in that county, you're talking about a margin of barely a thousand votes. And so that's motivational. It shows kind of the roadmap uh, that Democrats have to have to be able to win next year. But then I think uh, it was a breath of fresh air also to folks nationally, because I think so much had been going on. You kind of forget, oh, yeah, we are fighting for abortion. And it was just at the top of our mind, uh, like last week again. And it, I think you're going to see people again. Democrats are going to have to lean into that messaging uh, next year to really uh, turn out its base and uh, win in states like uh, Ohio. You can't run away from it. Do you think that Democrats can successfully win a statewide race on this issue? I know they won statewide referendum. I, I understand that uh, when it's just a question on a ballot. Do you support abortion rights? They won in Kansas and they won in Ohio, uh, two uh, red states or two Trump states. But can they do that when it's two candidates running against each other? And so the issue, other issues come into play, uh, other positions that the candidates have other than abortion. Do you think it still could be a successful issue for the Dems? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at my home state of Michigan in 2022, uh, and you had abortion on the ballot, and you also have the entire uh, ticket, uh, you know, from governor on down. Uh, and Michigan, for the first time, I think in 30 years, uh, ended up winning all three uh, major branches of uh, government. They controlled both uh, chambers in the legislature and defended uh, the governor's office as well. And so abortion is very much a winning issue uh, for Democrats. I think when uh, we don't win statewide and with the candidate, it's because the candidate kind of tiptoes around it and they're scared and, you know, how do I really lean into it? I mean, we've seen this happen before with so many issues. I mean, you think back to Black Lives Matter and how that decimated some candidates because 
they were so hesitant. They didn't know how to message around it. And so abortion, I think you've seen enough of a ref referendum at this point that lean into it. It is your strength. It is your superpower going into next year. And I think in a place like Ohio, yes, you got to keep pounding the pavement uh, with that message. And then you're going to have a shared brown again. Uh, you will defend your two Supreme Court seats, possibly even flip a court seat, and possibly Democrats can win Ohio uh, in a presidency for the first time since Obama. All right. Let's. Whoa. Okay. Let's let, I'm going to force you to take a little deeper dive into that one. I mean, I can't even get the words out. Democrats winning. Uh, let's presume Trump is the candidate. He's two for two in Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, his uh, Senator Vance, uh, his what flunky crony, whatever you want to call him, uh, prevailed uh, in what was it? last 2022 in the senate race very expensive senate race uh it seems as though there's a cult of trump that's pretty strong in the state of ohio you believe that biden presuming he's the nominee for the dems can beat donald trump in ohio explain how absolutely so i think it starts with uh how senator sherrod brown uh performs i think you know, he is probably still going to overperform uh, Biden. He's going to get votes that Biden is just not going to get. Uh, I think what is one of the key and secret weapons for the Biden campaign in a state like Ohio is actually the VP. Uh, that is extremely popular, especially in some of the urban cores uh, in Ohio. And again, uh, I think the GOP, when they made the Supreme Court, you have to run as a DNR now. They thought absolutely, we're going to be able to crush the Democrats. Well, you got two really popular uh, Supreme Court justices that are on the ballot and the first ever Black woman in uh, Justice Melody Stewart that's on that ballot. And I think they've over uh, underestimated, you know, how compelling that could be uh, and the fact that we have a chance to see unity in Ohio with a, a statewide ticket that, again, the last time we saw it, I was just starting in uh, uh, politics as a field organizer in Ohio in 2012. But that was the last time, you know, I remember seeing that strength and unity across the board. And so uh, I think you have the right candidates this uh, time. I think you got the right message this time coming off the victory uh, with um, uh, issue one. Now, the question is, are you going to go and do the work and start campaigning uh, in some of these areas and not wait until the summertime, but really diving in? I think Ohio, if it goes uh, blue again, uh, it has to return to its roots. And that's that organizing uh, for America model that made Obama so successful the first time. Trump is not invincible. Uh, in Ohio. Trump can win Ohio uh, if Democratic the Democratic base does not show up uh, in Ohio. And that's more than just Cleveland, Columbus, uh, and Cincinnati. That's winning in Toledo. Uh, that's winning uh, back again in Youngstown. That's winning more in Canton. Uh, and again, losing better in areas like Clark County and Greene County and Butler County. All right. So, um, I'm really reluctant to uh, raise this particular issue. I'm allowed to raise uh, because obviously um, the death and carnage uh, in Gaza is significant on its own beyond American politics. But more and more, I've been discussing it and 
thinking about it because uh, well, so much hinges in our country on what happens uh, in November. And uh, I assume you have uh, friends on the left who have told you that uh, they're not going to vote for Joe Biden because he went to Israel and embraced Netanyahu is pretty much a given a green light to Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a uh, this is a classic wedge issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so what do you see uh, as the, the issue of the war uh, in Gaza? Uh, what impact do you think that's going to have uh, uh, when the Democrats go? I think where it is really complicated for Biden is I think it hurts some with younger voters right now, his stance. Uh, I think when you look at who really won the midterms for uh, um, Democrats last year, it was younger voters. It was black and brown voters. Uh, and I don't think you have uh, uniformity when it comes to that. There's a lot that just don't like the stance that he took. And that's the hard thing is, you know, you hate to, uh, number one, you hate to see what's happening over in Gaza in general. It is an absolute trap travesty uh, right now. But wedge issues like this, we've seen so many times uh, topple presidential uh, momentum. Uh, And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how he continues uh, to navigate it. I mean, you you can't walk back what you've already done at this point, but how uh, does the president uh, talk about this? And, you know, what does he do to reassure some of those voters that are now on the fence about him because they thought he took the wrong stance on it? Yeah, you know, it reminds me that the first time I met you, uh, I'm, your old uh, ally associate, uh, Beth Simpson, uh, was on the show, and we were talking about a showdown that she had with Rahm Emanuel and Chris Christie on the George Stephanopoulos show. I remember it clearly, uh, and uh, Rahm was saying that what we should do is win over swing voters uh, and suburban voters, et cetera. They were talking a long-term democratic strategy, and Beth Simpson was saying, no, we should go for the base. We can't just overlook the base. Uh, and it was just a classic, you know, a classic debate between a centrist or moderate or whatever Ram is uh, and a person from the left, uh, Vet Simpson. And it was, I was cheering for Vet Simpson on that one. You can't overlook the base. You can't take your base uh, for granted. But Ram's attitude, of course, was the more you're, you, quote, unquote, cater to the, the base, the more you're going to alienate uh, swing voters, and I'm just going to take the base for granted because they got nowhere else to go. The reality uh, is, Chris, they could not vote. They could just not show up, and that has mm-hmm. an impact. So it's a straddling game that Yvette and Rom are going at. Uh, how do you see it? Yeah, uh, you got to cater to the base. I don't care what you say. The reason why Republicans win, why you had a Donald Trump, they cater to their base. Uh, the swing voters are always going to be the swing voters, and there's a time and a place Uh, to cater to swing voters, but they are exactly what they are, swing, which is fickle. And a lot of times you don't know uh, where they're going to go, because depending on how the uh, wind blew right before the election, (laughs) that might determine where they go. But your base, uh, you keep them happy and they show up in droves for you. Democrats win every almost every single time. Uh, If we turn out black people, uh, we turn out uh, more Latino people, uh, we turn out young people, Republicans cannot overcome us in that. And there is enough of that across the map 
uh, for Democrats to really retain power for a long time. But again, how often have we seen uh, us kind of pigeonhole ourselves on the issues, uh, which always ends up costing us uh, with the base, or you just take them for granted. You don't think that you need to talk to them. We can show up in the last hour. Uh, and how many times have we been told, look, you take us for granted. Uh, and obviously I'm saying this as a, a black man, you take the vote for granted. I don't have to show up for you. Uh, in November. And I think uh, as much as that attitude gets put of, you know, what the alternatives, I think for a lot of voters in the base uh, of the Democratic Party, we've survived quite a bit in some of the worst conditions. And so sometimes that really is the mentality of, no, you still need to earn my vote. You take my vote for granted, you won't have my vote. I won't go vote for the opponent, but I just won't show up because clearly you don't want to show up for me. And uh, so you saw the same polls I did, uh, the same midterm polls. Uh, I have I have bring a lot of skepticism to them. But one thing that jumped out, I think the poll said in swing states, uh, this is the New York Times poll, as, as much as uh, 22 or so percent of the black vote would go for Trump. I had a hard time believing that. This imagine this, ladies and gentlemen. You just put... Uh, uh, 10 black people in a room and the, what 22 of them are going to be voting for Trump. That I have a hard time believing that your thoughts about that uh, statistic. Trump's never going to get 22% of the black vote. Uh, again, I think where you could have a hurt is, you know, Biden still wins the majority, but again, not enough black folks actually show up for him. And so if he was to get like, if Trump was to get like 10 or 13%, now you feel that a little bit more because you didn't win by the margin that you should have been winning uh, in the first place. But black voters, uh, we're not gonna vote against our own interests. Uh, at the end of the day, we know what is at stake if Donald Trump uh, gets back in office uh, overall. But again, it still doesn't mean you take that vote for uh, granted and you don't do everything uh, to fight like hell to turn out that uh, vote in the first place. But when I saw that poll, I was like, come on. Uh, and I, I think that's where a lot of us strategists get upset with the media and where just polling has gone, because it's like, who are you talking to? What? What? I want to know who exactly you talked to. You couldn't have gone to Detroit or Chicago uh, to get those poll numbers. You can't be. Uh, even if you went into like rural North Carolina that has a black voters, I can't believe that you're going to find that number anywhere. But, oh, this, you know, yeah. it makes for a compelling story. It makes for clicks. And, you know, but also that created the monster of Donald Trump in the first time was polling constantly getting released like that, that kind of, uh, you know, completely decimated uh, and made folks uh, really feel defeated in the first place. Yeah, no, I um, um, this is a topic of mine that was used to be uh, an obsession, uh, Chris, and I'll, I'll I'll just take a little deep dive and get your thoughts about this. This is long before I think you're, you're much younger than me, so I don't know how if you were following politics uh, obsessively in in two thousand and four mm -hmm. uh, when um, George Bush ran successfully the second time. But there was a survey that showed um, I think it was like twenty percent of something like that of black uh, voters went for George Bush. And Chris, 
that did not that blew my I'm like I don't I don't know 20% of black people who voted I, I don't see it I don't you know what I mean? I, I don't know any black people who voted for Bush at all, literally 20%. And so uh, I started doing deep dives. It's like, I'm almost embarrassed to confess this. So I started looking at um, black congressional districts throughout the country where we're, where there was a concentration, you know, gerrymandering, uh, a huge concentration of black people in one precinct. Uh, excuse me, or one district precincts that were like 90 to 100 percent black people, you know, segregation. You know how they do it now. They mm -hmm. want to make a, a, a district that is a, will guarantee to elect a, a black representative. You know how to do you know how to draw a map. You just put the precincts or the census blocks into those uh, districts. And it was overwhelming vote for um, John Kerry. I don't mm -hmm. think people love John Kerry that much is mm -hmm. that they could not stand the alternative. They saw nothing there. And I feel the same way. It was like a parable for me as a lefty. It's like, I would like to be able to tell the Democratic Party, oh, yeah, you don't abide. I'm, I want to be like the uh, LBJ to Frank Church, only I'm saying it to the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah, you want my vote? Well, you better take care of X, Y, Z. But the reality, Chris, is I got nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Or drop the only alternative is just drop out of the system mm -hmm. uh, or vote Democratic. That's reality. So that's mm -hmm. the choice that I have. And I feel that many black voters are in the same position. Mm -hmm. They either drop out of the system uh, or vote uh, for the Democrat. But that voting for the Republican is like an uh, a kamikaze act. You don't follow. That's that's how I interpret it. Your thoughts. Well, again, you look at just what black folks have been uh, through, you know, just through the Trump years and kind of his rise and even post-Trump. Uh, it's a scary time to be a black person in America uh, at this point. There is so much uh, at stakes between, you know, the mass shootings, uh, voting rights getting repealed, all these legislations uh, that seem like they just want to take us back to the Jim Crow days. Uh, and I think that's the reality for Black folks of, you know, even if you look at where a lot of Black folks are more conservative on things, we know for a fact what the Republican Party is offering uh, is the decimation uh, of us at the end of the day. You know, again, you got... Uh, people like Donald Trump and, you know, uh, MGT and folks like that, that, you know, go back to Africa and all of these other things. We're not stupid. Um, but again, the real reality is, do we decide to show up? Uh, but I think if you see Donald Trump on the ballot, no matter how upset Black folks is, that's one of those hold your nose and do what you got to do because you know what happens uh, if we lose this thing again. All right. Uh, so to give us an indication of what uh, could happen if uh, Trump is reelected, uh, there's a bill uh, at play in Texas that you were telling me about. Uh, so why don't you take the deep dive for our listeners? I think most of them probably this will be news to them. What's going down in Texas? Go ahead. Yeah. And so uh, you have sent a bill for that. I believe just passed the Texas house on uh, Tuesday, and Governor Abbott said he plans uh, to sign it. It is probably one of the most illegal 
uh, extreme uh, anti-immigration uh, laws. And essentially what it says is that state and local law enforcement uh, can go up to people, ask to see their papers, and uh, if they're undocumented, arrest them. And so what you're looking at the first time they arrest them, uh, you know, if they don't have criminal history, it's a misdemeanor. If they do, it's a felony. Uh, but where this is really problematic is because you're having Texas once again try to assert itself uh, with something that isn't just a state policy. You're, you know, going into uh, domestic policy for the entire country uh, when you're talking about folks coming here to seek asylum. And you're just going to arrest them uh, because they're undocumented uh, and ship them back. And, you know, the I believe the government of Mexico has already said, like, you can't do this. Uh, and then to go on with that, I think they just passed Senate Bill 3 in Texas uh, that I think uh, is over, I think, $1.5 uh, or billion dollars to uh, invest in making more of a physical barrier between Texas uh, and Mexico. And so uh, at this point, it's like, Texas, how do you say you just want to secede from uh, the country uh, again? Like you and Florida are clearly making it loud and clear that you don't even want to be a part of America uh, anymore with the type of legislation uh, that is getting passed. But again, uh, it is really demeaning to everything uh, that America is supposed to stand for, or whatever happened to, you know, uh, give me your huddled masses, your poor, your yearning. Uh, it is a sad day in uh, America right now with where we are uh, with immigration. And look, I get it. Um, there, we do have an immigration problem and we do have to be better on policy. But criminalizing people that are coming here fleeing uh, tyranny and worse uh, just to have a chance at life, criminalizing them is not the solution. So when you uh, present the views that you just did regarding these uh, bills uh, to family and friends, what's the response? Do you get a pushback from family and friends? They're going, uh, we got to get tough. Uh, they're taking jobs from Americans. Uh, it's costing us money. Uh, Chris, you're too soft. You're too liberal. Uh, do you get that kind of pushback? What's the pushback you get when you when you say the things you just said to your family and friends? So I think for me, I get less of a pushback with that. It's always dependent on more so who am I talking to uh, in general of how do they really uh, feel about that. Um, but I think the one comment, even some of the folks that I know, and yes, I do know Republicans, uh, that I am friends if they can have a respectable conversation. You know, we don't always have to have the same ideology. But even, you know, some of the Republican friends that I know are like, this is too much. This is too extreme. And I believe you actually have one of the Republican members in the legislature say, what are we doing here? Like, what are we really doing here yeah. at this point? Uh, I think what 2012. I think we we saw this uh, potentially almost happen uh, in Arizona. 
Uh, and it's just the thing of Republicans are going to keep trying about it. Uh, I think they want to make this. This is another one of those wedge issues that they're going to make a thing yeah. uh, in the presidential. And again, if Democrats don't know how to message about it and don't have, you know, alternative solutions, it can be really problematic uh, in states where you do have a large uh, immigrant uh, population, but uh, it's a little bit more polarized. You look at a state like Georgia that, yeah, just went blue, but you know how reliable, that's still a battleground state at the end of the day. It's still the reason why, uh, you know, we're not winning in Florida. Uh, we're not winning uh, in Texas because one, we're not turning out our own base, uh, but two, Republicans are winning the war on words when it comes to messaging. Uh, to this particular issue. Well, it, it's a, a, a legitimate wedge issue. I don't I can't think of a wedge issue on the Republican side because a wedge issue uh, implies that there's two positions that the that people the party is sort of split. So think the class and for the Democrats, the wedge issue is I already mentioned it, the war in Gaza, where there's a strong faction, the Democratic Party that supports Israel no matter what they do. And there's a strong faction in the Democratic Party that wants this uh, war to end and uh, want believes in the rights of Palestinians uh, to return to the land that's now in Israel. So that would be a huge uh, a fight, uh, even if it's just, uh, let's just hope it's a political fight. So that's a classic wedge issue. You can work one side of the party against the other side. When, you, when it comes to abortion, I can't see anybody on the Republican side <laughs> that's for sure. They got, it's like they're locks. They're just following the party line and, and just follow me on this one, Chris, even Nikki Haley, who's supposedly quote unquote, the moderate mm -hmm. in the, in the race, she's against any kind of abortion rights. Basically her attitude is, is, well, I don't think we should speak ill of women who get abortions. So she's like, I want to prevent women from getting abortions, but I'll be nice about it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, so I don't see a wedge issue for Republicans within MAGA on this. Do you see any wedge issues that Republicans are facing? I don't. Um, and again, it's the state of the Republican Party that we have today uh, in the MAGA uh, base, which really... Uh, emboldens white supremacy, let's just call it for what it is, um, they're not going to get caught on a wedge issue. They are singular-minded. Uh, I think uh, what we have begin, uh, begun to see is kind of this shift of, I think you have more Republicans running on the, I think it's the 15-week ban and starting to play with that and test it out. Uh, because that's something of, you know, can we get some of these women that, you know, overall don't want their rights away, that if we give them a good amount of distance, they can live with that in stomach and we can decide it and wrap it up and say, oh, you know, we're not fully taking away the right, you know, but we're making this more sensible. And I think you have that. Uh, what I want to caveat to which is going to be uh, interesting, and it's one of the uh, issues where my PAC, Vance Electorate PAC, really wants to hit uh, Republicans on is when you have this, Republicans always talk about we're the responsible ones uh, when we're in government and how much stuff over the past year have they screwed up and having control 
of the House when it comes to military funding, uh, when we're talking about government shutdown. The Republican Party has showed their extreme ineptitude at this point because they can't even get their own folks uh, to fall in line to actually do the bare basics to <laughs> keep our government functioning. And so I, that's an issue where I want to see Democrats hit hard on yeah. that. Like they've showed you they don't deserve to be in power. What happens when they're uh, in power or uh, their power is threatened to lose? We get insurrections. Uh, you know, you're sweating out whether or not you're getting your paycheck because the government uh, might shut down. If you're a military member, you got to worry about are you going to have funding overseas? That's what Republican control of government uh, gets you at this point, along with the draconian laws of, you know, let's just call it what it is, what they did in politicizing the Supreme Court. Uh, takes us back to, you know, just create a modern day handmaid's tale and let's bring that to real life. That's what they did. They wanted to go back to coats and hangers. And that's the scary reality of things. And so uh, they're inept, but you got to call them up out on what they're inept uh, and their inability to actually functionally run things. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a compelling point. Just watching the their inability to settle on a speaker. Uh, and then uh, we talked about this yesterday, the show with uh, a different guest, David Ferris, the, uh, like, <laughs> it's like considered a miracle. They were able to pass in a, uh, a funding measure in the house that the Senate that got over to the Senate, but that only extends, you know, for like, what's it three months now? So it's just like every three months we get to do, we can't, do it for a full year. Uh, so yes, uh, it definitely is not Nancy Pelosi driving this truck. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, they're just, they don't have a leader. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give you one, one more thing because we talked about Ohio last year or, uh, earlier, the last two, uh, Republican speaker of the house, both indicted by the FBI. I mean, if that doesn't scream corruption and you can't win on that, I don't know what you can win on. Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. No, that now you're getting to a whole other interesting uh, conversation, which we will have to take up another time. Um, the lawlessness of the Republican Party. So Donald Trump, the leader of the Republican Party, the leader of the Republican Party uh, is facing the four indictments. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are very strong cases. Uh, and they're going to go into election year and Republicans don't care. I've never mm -hmm. seen... Chris, I've been around a long time in politics. I've never seen this. Like here in Chicago, we have a steady stream of indicted politicians, governors, House speakers, Senate, uh, you know, state senators, aldermen. Uh, I don't think a mayor's ever been uh, directly uh, implicated, but uh, the you know board... Detroit had one. Oh yeah, you had you, Detroit, <laughs> your your hometown. I always have you in so many hometowns. His literal hometown is Detroit, but he lived in Ohio for a while. So I, I always say that's his Cincinnati or is his hometown. But really, his, his he's he's all Detroit. Loves the Pistons. I feel sorry for him. But anyway, neither, uh, yeah, and and the Bears will beat the Lions on on Sunday. Uh, sorry for that tangent. But uh, I've never seen like. Nobody in Chicago rallies around an indicted politician. Mm -hmm. Nobody in Chicago says, I'm going to vote for this person, uh, you know, regardless of uh, what. 
uh, and uh, that there's this uh, conspiracy of the deep state in the feds uh, to bring this person down. Quite the contrary. Everyone, Republicans and Democrats, they support they support like a vigorous, you know, prosecution uh, of, of politicians who are taking bribes. The Republican Party is sanctioning it. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's a really weird schizophrenia they have, because here in Illinois, the Republicans cheer on every indictment of a, a powerful Democrat uh, and say, you know, that shows ex- this is exposing the Democratic Party corruption and we have to be hard on them. And then when it comes to their own party, they tolerate all the corruption of Donald Trump and turn on the judges and turn on the prosecutors and turn on the juries, threaten them, you know? So Chris, that I, even with all the wedge issues working against the Democrats, I just find it hard to believe that this country will tolerate. I hope I'm, right uh on this position because this is a scary thing i hope this country uh will not tolerate this kind of lawlessness mm-hmm. and just do try to have a coup for crying out loud mm-hmm. uh we'll get your closing thoughts about this well i mean uh what uh, i think republicans right now it's like project 2025 that they have out there that talks about you know if donald trump comes into power what they are going to do from day one uh, the type of penalties uh, and uh, uh, reprimand that they're going to come for everybody that opposed them. Um, I really hope 2024 is the death to this uh, lawlessness. And I hope it is the beginning of the final nail in a coffin when it just comes to uh, the bigotry uh, and just hate that we've seen. Uh, rise up uh, through the Donald Trump years that he has uh, endorsed and kind of catalyzed at this point. But here's the thing. You can't put anything past it. I think even if he gets indicted uh, or, you know, beyond the indictment, if he gets a conviction, multiple convictions, unless you say he can't run for government, I see that mobilizing his base even more to want to uh, come out. And that is what is scary uh, to me is the fact that this man could get convicted and they would be even, they would, he would become a martyr uh, for his base uh, at this point. And so Democrats better be ready to show up and fight like hell. And I don't, I don't give a damn if you don't like uh, who's on the ballot Look at what is at stake in our country. We won't have a democracy anymore uh, if we lose next year. That's that's just the simple truth. America will no longer be a democracy if Donald Trump gets back in office. Yeah, and, and by the way, Donald Trump pretty much says it himself. So just don't believe Chris Scott. Just listen to Donald Trump. Uh <laughs> All right, Chris, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, my condolences uh, in advance uh, for the whooping that the Bears are going to put on Detroit on Sunday. I, I feel- <laughs> you know y'all about to take a loss. It's the Lions' time. It is finally our time. <laughs> uh, even, I, even I couldn't say that with a straight face. I was trying to get it out. I couldn't do it. My beloved Bears, I just I'm happy that Justin Fields back. I really 
rooting for Justin Fields. I want him to show the world how great is his greatness. But the Lions look so good and the Bears look so bad. I tried to trash talk, Chris, and I couldn't. Look, do you should want to lose. Don't you want your two top five picks? You know, I'm all over the map with that. Um, I mean, yeah, I got all my friends like but the bull, they're like, oh, break up the bulls, let's tank, let's go get draft choices, is that and then I look at who we draft and I'm like, well, that didn't work out. So uh I guess in theory, uh, I yes, in theory, I appreciate the fact that the Bears could have the top two picks by virtue of uh the Panthers being even Please. more inept than they are. <laughs> and then, so, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. That's, that's the bright side. Uh, look on the bright side, Ben, your bad team gets to pick high. All right, Chris, appreciate it very much. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. That's great. Chris Scott. And I also want to thank the other Chris producer, Chris. And, uh, I think Chris Scott will agree with me when I say, Hey, producer, Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love Chris and Chris. As always, if you've missed any of the previous Ben Jarofsky shows, there's a lot of them online, so you probably missed at least one. You can head to chicagoreader.com and play catch up. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky to find all those past shows, columns from Ben Jarofsky, and so much more. If you want to find him on Instagram, Ben's hanging out there. It's at Benny J Show. And don't forget, please like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and on your favorite podcasting platforms. Thanks, guys.